All right, Shanique. <laughs> We're just gonna leave it right. I thought that would be very good to start off just this little this HBCU episode because this special bonus oh boy. episode of Getting Grown is presented commercial free thanks to Target. Target is partnering with HBCUs to support the next generation of black talent. Show so right. with that being said, I just wanted to give you them two lines because this is about school sitting in my class, just drifting away. I'd rather get to the guest because it's a phenomenal conversation. Oh, so so shall we head that way, sis? Let's do it. Everybody, we're excited. Welcome back to another uh, ad-free episode of Ooh, uh, right. Getting Grown. We're excited. We've got some bonus content brought to you, especially from our good friends um, at the Black Beyond Measure campaign at Target. We mm-hmm. are still um, digging into, illuminating, unpacking, exploring the HBCU experience. And today yes. we get to have um, an experience. We get to engage someone who's an actual alum of, of an HBCU and gain her experience and insights and what, what her experience of, of um, historically black college, her particular university, which I think was FAMU, right? All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Yes. So we're gonna welcome Whitney to the kitchen table. Welcome, welcome, Yay. welcome Whitney. <laughs> we just love to have you here. We are great to see your face in the place. Thank um, you. Yes, indeed. So, yes, we want to learn more about you and about your journey through the fam, you, and how that has shaped you into the wonderful human being that you are. But before we get to all of that, how are you doing? How I are you? I am mm-hmm. thriving today. Today is a thriving oh, ass come on, day. Guys. Yes, yes. It's a thriving yes. day. So I have to sit in that too. It's easy to complain, and I have done my fair share of complaining, and it has been a rough ride. But this today is a good day. It was yeah, a very good day. Now, do we know each other well? Because your face looks so familiar. Ooh, man! Oh. You know, sometimes <laughs> I see I see you in passing, but every now and then I'm like, I think I know this girl. I, I don't know, know her name. Same. I'm just excited to be able to actually no, place a name and a face together. Over. Right. What's now, your name again? Right? Oh, I ain't on the internet. Don't do names, Jay. Let's not do names, boo. Oh, okay, right. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just want to let you all know that a good chunk of my core tribe is right here on this re- on this recording between Dr. Kia and Whitney. I speak to them both on a weekly basis. So Absolutely. I'm very excited to have you in this capacity. We are very oh, excited to you. have you here at the kitchen we table. Are. Yes, we are. So, so I think we shall waste no more time, actually. Well, K- Kia, how are you, sister? How are you doing today? You know, I, 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 I am going to try to, I'm aspiring to thrive. Right <laughs> thrive I am, aspirations. I have, I have aspirations to thrive. <laughs> But you know, I'm safe. I have what I need. I haven't any complaints. You know, we're dealing with what we're dealing with, but we're doing it. And we're we're all, we're all good. You're doing okay. Everything. I am. Everything's good. I went and got my claws done today. You know, it's it's been a good day. It's been a fiery day. I'm enjoying it. And so, but I'm super excited to get to this. Or what did the, what did the me go say? 
but um, all over the internet. All over the internet. <laughs> mm, what's somebody That's saying? Blue Ivy's internet at that. Blue like, Ivy's gosh. internet. But you know what we doing? We sitting on Blue Ivy's internet right now. We're gonna turn yeah. this into a positive direction. Yes, we are so we excited must. to have Whitney here to share her very unique and personal experience um, around being at FAMU, being an alum of FAMU, but also. Uh, how that kind of impacted you in your personal life. So before we get into it, I really, I want you to tell the people, tell them where you're from and tell them where you at. Ah, mm. hey, where I'm at physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Physically, physically, uh-huh. bitch. We don't need all, all the business. Because, you know, you're a counselor. I can go deep real quick. Oh, okay. like, how much time you how got? How much time okay. I got? You feel me? I'm still trying Let's to get into it. Um, I am a first generation American, born and raised in New York, uh, to a Trinidadian family. I can't even say parents because my whole family was, mm-hmm. uh, elbow deep in, in my experience. <laughs> um, and I am a, a physical nomad. Mm-hmm. I've never been in one place for too long. Thanks to my kooky mother. Um, and I am currently residing in country number six, I think. I'm pretty sure six or seven, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Netherlands. I, I live in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. It is the Brooklyn to Amsterdam's Manhattan, if you will. Really? Yes. AKA what Jade and I like to call the white motherland. Yeah, hey. she live in the white motherland. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I be check, that's why I be checking in on her. I'm like, okay, so you know, are how you are you doing? Wh- Whitney Go actually world. lived a, a a true life, 90 day fiance, um, ex- the other way experience. You know what I'm saying? She moved to Rotterdam, okay. um, you know, for stuff. And <laughs> but we're gonna get we're gonna talk about her journey more because I yes. think that your experience at FAMU probably helped with. Ooh. Man. Yeah, kind of that whole trajectory. Fam, you owes me nothing. They wow. owe me so, nothing. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does how does Whitney, born and raised in New York, end up at FAMU? At the, the highest of seven hills. Well, let me tell you something. It was, <laughs> it was a struggle because, and I, I, I think we're going to get into this a little bit later in the conversation. My, particularly my mother was absolutely against me going to FAMU. Yes. Mm. Um, My cousin Alyssa went to FAM and I went to visit her for Thanksgiving. And when I tell you, there are a few, like a handful of instances where I felt something pass through my body that was like, this is it. And it was one, my trip to Ghana, hands down, changed my life. And my visit to her during Thanksgiving at FAMU on campus. It it literally, I remember a physical feeling like this is it, this is what I need. Um, And when I said that, I think I was like 14 or 15. My mom moved me to my fourth high school in four years at the International School of Port of Spain in Trinidad. So I was like a local kid at the International School. It was interesting. Mm -hmm. And I told her I wanted to go to FAM and I remember her saying, you're not going to school with all those black people. Mm. And I was deeply confused like, Again, like, wait, what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I also kind of was, I wasn't shocked by it, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up 
enrolling in a PWI. I, I was I went to Pace University, scholarships, all all that, um, everything that my Caribbean mother wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the major, I was still a psych major, which was much to the chagrin of a lot of my family, like psychology. Ooh. But I was underage. I wasn't old enough to make those decisions on my own. I wasn't 18 yet. So I had no choice. And the minute I turned 18, I think I turned 18 in January. And by April, I would I dropped out of all my classes and applied to uh, FAM for, I think, no, the, the, the semester prior. I applied mm-hmm. to FAM. I got in. And I withdrew from all my classes behind my mother's back turned 18 and was like, okay, I'm going. Um, But I (laughs) selected um, engineering to Mm -hmm. appease her. Like maybe that will soften the blow a little bit. Like I'm going to be an engineer girl. (laughs) That's what you've always wanted. Um, And I, I, that's how I got to FAMU. I had to do it under the the cover of night and, and sneak my way in there and be prepared to move myself. And my mother told me, she's like, I'm not financially supporting you in this decision. Um, she did help me move and she was supportive in my move, but I knew she was really against it. But it literally was a decision that absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And I am so deeply grateful, so grateful. So though some of those moments you said where you, it kind of passed through it, it, like you felt that feeling like it was yeah. sure this is what I wanted to do. What were some of the experiences that you had um, at the FAMU campus that that made you say, I, this is this is what I need to be doing with myself? You know, it was the um, community. Like my cousin Alyssa is the ever since we were, I was young, like before college was even a thought she's always been an, an attractor, right? Like she's always, people are drawn to her in, in the most significant ways. And I always admired that um, about her as your stereotypical shy child, right? Like I just, mm-hmm. I would try to cover myself and just like not want to exist in front of people. And she was the, she felt like the opposite. So when she got to fam, she had this dope life. Like there was an independence and a glow about her that I think that fam you encourages where you feel powerful in your space and you feel connected to other like-minded people in a really significant way that you can navigate through a very difficult life mind you it's not easy Mm -hmm. um but feeling connected to other people so it was that it was seeing her like people that we met friends that would come by just very casual it was nothing official or formal but all these people these black people just coming in and they were just so beautiful and educated and and funny. They were so funny. I cracked up laughing the entire time. And I felt like, not envy, but a yearning. Like I want to exist in this space. And a lot of my educational experience because of the way um, education is set up in America was with white people. And Mm. I just never got to feel myself. When I was funny, it always felt like borderline clown shit right like when I was Mm -hmm. attractive it it felt borderline fetish it would just Mm -hmm. it never felt real and that was the first time I was able to witness it real and the second thing was Tallahassee had seasons and there was something about being in that region and, and driving through the the neighborhoods and seeing like the leaves changing it was November and it was just this really crisp cool it was like the perfect mix of like the south and and the north that i needed i don't know that was part of it too so let's let's take it back a little bit let's travel back uh before famu before college before all of that um you had a pretty unique 
experience growing up as far as viewpoints in your household, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and you talk about how how important your family experience was. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit of what was going on in your household as to why you had a yearning to be in an environment like this? So it's funny because um, before we started this conversation, I was talking to my partner and I was telling him like, I, I did another conversation earlier with another good friend of mine and it went so well. And I was just like kind of chatting through it and it, it feels natural, these conversations because of the safe space and the people that I'm with, I love it. But there's always something about this topic that is particularly sensitive and vulnerable for me because it's such a deep window into my growth and not everybody gets to like see that, right? They see the, the end result or the current result, I should say, not the end result. But, it, but taking them through that, it is, it's very telling of my experience and some of my um, challenges, but it also tells a lot about my family, which I am deeply respectful and grateful to no matter what. Like I never want sure. this, these conversations to be um, admonishing their, their, their experience because that came from somewhere as well and that's Absolutely. their story to tell. Um, so I always feel a little anxious about this, but it is really important and it's something that I have talked about before and I, I I genuinely enjoy talking about because like you said, there are other people who have felt this way mm -hmm. and who have had a similar shared experience with me. Um, so the first thing when you say like my household, I think I hear my mother yelling, it may be New York out there, but it's Trinidad in here. Like, it's like you coming back into this Trini household. I don't care what the people told you about America out there, but in here, it's Trinidad and we do things our way, whether it's doing a weird column for math. And I'm like, this is not how my teacher was telling me how to do this. Girl. What, is this? what is this from the old country? Like, they're not going to say, no, ma'am, or me spelling color with a U. And people are like, girl, what? Like, mm -mm, what is happening? Um, to try to explain to my very Caribbean grandmother about the idea of Halloween, knocking on strangers' doors, asking them <laughs> for things, like, uh, yeah. And then there was the messaging, the unspoken messaging, right, where my grandmother is a conservative person in her nature overall. Mm -hmm. So she was conservative in Trinidad and conservative in America, but conservative mm -hmm. in America um, is very different as a black person, right? Like it just, it looks real different. Mm -hmm. And for them coming from, I wouldn't call Trinidad a homogenous space per se, but there's something about the offsetting where you don't have to be black in Trinidad necessarily. Like you can mm -hmm. navigate your life without ever identifying yourself as, oh, I'm a black person, you know? There's right. so many other words, Dogla, Chinese, um, Indian, Negro. Like they use all these words to like mm -hmm. describe people, darky, reds, uh, all kinds of things. Oh, so they called they, me clear. The kids <laughs> called me clear. They were like, oh, the little clear girl, the clear lady. <laughs> More like broth, though. Yeah, nigga, they called me bone. Jeez. They called me bone broth. I'm serious. What? I'm, I can't make it up. The clear one. It's the clear one. I, mm -hmm. I literally I cannot deal oh, with that. Oh, one of my personal favorite Trinidadian nicknames was Tick Sauce. Like, I was like, oh, we're me? Oh, you're talking to me? <laughs> tick Sauce. I like that scarcity skin your teeth. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> So it, it was a time. It was that messaging in the house where my grandmother, I remember like she'd watch 
not what was Fox News, but the like the news in general when I was really young. And she's like, these black people. And she would talk about black people. And I'd be there and be like, um, <laughs> very confused. I didn't grow up in a house where they self-identified as black. But then the minute I would walk out the door, they'd be like, hey, black girl. And I'm like, who, me? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, you can't right. be talking to me. I'm Trini. Like, because in my house, it's Trinidad. Right. Like, I'm living in a sovereign That's gotta land. That's got to be a mind screw right there. Ooh, That's it be. was a mind screw indeed. That's so crazy, though, because when you think about it, though, and I, I, as someone who is, you know, Black American, born and raised mm-hmm. here, um, but sort of thinking about uh, culture, like Black culture mm-hmm. um, globally, and then thinking about it like sort of if we want to think nationally or even regionally, there are differences. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, I was born and raised in New York in what was a very Southern home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just happened to be in New York. Right. Based Mm -hmm. in New York. Mm -hmm. It was the, the physical house was in New York, but Mm -hmm. inside the home was very much Nashville, Tennessee. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and so even we think about the way that that looks, um, what's fascinating to me is is so what what is resonating, I guess, is how deeply steeped in anti-blackness we are all sort of like when we yeah. think about it, yeah. how, and how like an, anti-blackness is just woven into yeah. the world, the black actually. American, ex- right? But uh-huh. even in the, it's just so associated with the black American experience in such a way, yeah, that um. You know, it just is so fascinating to me that in conventionally black spaces that are filled with black people physically, mm-hmm. there is still, still reigns. There, I mean, and, and it is such it is such a thing. And so, so given given that upbringing and your desire to go to a place like Fam, um, you know, help us to. Help us to to know how FAMU was instrumental in sort of you sort of, you know. Navigating that confusion. Navigating this. this <laughs> out of I, it. I can't even find the word. Climbing like, you know, out of this it. This dissonance, right? right. Like, that's what this is like a dissonance. That's right? It's like, you know, this You black outside, conflict. but you're not black in your house. Right. That's, that's like a so, conflict. Yes, it was such a conflict. It really was. Um, for some background, I, I will say what you're saying, Kia, is so real because with anti-blackness. Sometimes I think, especially for immigrants, anti-blackness feels like survival. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. people showing up to a country looking for the dream that they were sold because white people came to their country and told them mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And then you find the people who look most like you being oppressed and you immediately want to distance yourself. Like, well, I'm yes. not one of them. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then yes. It, it becomes so deeply seated in the culture and the experience, like the, the American experience in the worst of ways that you don't even really realize when you're perpetuating it and you're part of perpetuating right. it and you're dragging your future generations into it as well. Um, and on top of it, and, and again, I, I absolutely have the deepest respect for my family but again it's the messaging it's unspoken yeah. messaging where my grandmother had seven children and only one had a child with a black person and that was my mom she's the only one all of my cousins for better or for worse whatever they identify as are interracial in some way mm-hmm. um 
which is also, again, my experience as a child, my formative years was like, okay, you know, wanting my hair done a certain way. And they're like, oh, you can't do your hair like that cousin because your hair is different, you know, or, mm-hmm. you're, or me knowing throughout my life that I am the dark, I'm the darkest skinned cousin in, in my family. So mm. even that, like, I know we joke, Jade and I joke all the time about like light skin dysmorphia, right? Like where we just do not know. <laughs> she look at her face, look at her. <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. Because she actually does have, she asked if there is a a melanin dysmorphia situation, Jade absolutely has that condition. I'm I'm sure it's clear I'm a highly delusional person. It's fine. (laughs) I like that you were the one to use the word clear. Oh, yeah, no, because, no, that's what the children describe me. And it's the children. You know, children don't lie. So when you know, the children are like, the clear one, I'm like, now wait a minute. Because <laughs> I fight kids, man. That is funny to me. Not the clear one. The clear one. Yeah, the clear one. Mm-hmm. Man. But yeah. that is fascinating, though, because I do come from a a, a, um, a very black American household as well, a very black, black American family, even with mm-hmm. everything else woven up in there. I still come from a culturally very black, black american family mm-hmm. where it's i don't i don't know anybody who didn't grow up yes i do i know plenty of people but i grew up with the just like kia with we, we mm-hmm. had luther on a saturday morning they might have had a little more gospel in their house my parents were heathens <laughs> but you know we were listening to anita and we was listening to marvin and we was listening to tribe but we were playing music we was cleaning we were doing your culturally black American things, right? Stereotypical. But when we think about it, we have to take ourselves out of our um, black American experience and understand that it's not a monolith, right? Because when you're in this, in this one place, you don't think about the people who don't identify as, but who families don't identify as black. Even (laughs) kids who grow up around all white kids and you're like, well, what's your problem? And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. This is different. Yeah. Yeah. But while you were listening to Luther and gospel and all those things and cleaning, we were cleaning on on that day too. Listening I believe to Sofa, it, right? Like I it, just mm-hmm. believe it. It's, right? That's why we're not it's a like monolith. Parallel li- lives happening in very different mm-hmm. contexts yes. and perspectives. Um, and I'm glad that you said that, Whitney. Around like you know, and this is never. I'm, I'm glad that you acknowledge that this was. This is not. Um, any any sort of disrespect or you know yeah. shaming of your family because i think we all have to contend with with the fact that we were we've all been raised literally brought up Mm -hmm. and socialized Mm -hmm. in a world that has been trained for Mm -hmm. centuries to oppose all things black yes absolutely and like you said for survival purposes i mean my grandfather i mean other people old uncles and stuff we used to say all all the time in my house everybody want to be black but don't nobody want to be black Child. That's it. and so and so you know it's it is it is, is an it. interesting it's a, it's you know i think we can make space to talk about these right. things mm-hmm. and it's right. not from a place of judgment because folks were doing the best that they could mm-hmm. but it is sort of like when we understand better when we know better and i think our generation having access to information in the way that we do we are a lot uh, better equipped to sort of right. call out and call attention to some of the systemic flaws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is what mm-hmm. white supremacy is all designed to fought do, right? That's what it's yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, right. It, it is, it is set, yes, they yeah. set us up so that we would have these sort of 
internal differences and conflicts and and to be nitpicking about that yeah. kind of stuff mm-hmm. so that we'll be distracted from fighting the white the white supremacists right and the worst part <laughs> is that we wouldn't be able to recognize it like i think the Absolutely. conflicts and the conversations are so important and it always helped me be able to connect to the black american experience and mm-hmm. the like African countries, Nigerian, Ghanaian, Tanzanian, all of those experiences, South African, like there's so many experiences, but we're, it's so pigeonholed into yeah. one and they Limited. made sure to jam mm-hmm. us in as much as they could to keep mm-hmm. us in there and to feel like the battle that we're having in this one little trench is all it is. And it's not, Right. it's, it's not. not. It's not. It's not. It doesn't speak to, oh, look, look what you're doing to our community. No, we're able, we're allowed to have conflict. We can, yeah. we can disagree, but our disagreement automatically equates the breakdown of our society and the yes. breakdown of our connection. And that, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. That's not difference. Fair. Difference is not seen as an opportunity, but as no. you know, like, but, but it is an opportunity. And it sounds like fam, you was really instrumental in sort of opening it, it up to, it to all, yes. all that, the the uh, the diaspora brings right okay. so we've been, yes so talk us through sorry. that sorry so yeah I, I, I um, <laughs> no 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 please damn you the thing the crazy thing is when I arrived I was so disillusioned about my identity and so confused so deeply confused that I didn't know what I was perpetuating and what I was trying to break free of. Like it was still Mm. very muddled. I didn't really understand it. And there was a lot of dissonance, a constant dissonance. I was so uncomfortable. My first year, I was so uncomfortable and so confused and so um, charmed by it all. Like it was just, it was overwhelming. It was the blackest space I had ever occupied in my entire life. And I had been and lived on the island of Trinidad and still, Mm was the blackest space I had ever occupied. Um, I remember people would like, there would be conversations like, oh, they were looking for you. And they're like, yeah, Whitney, the light-skinned girl with the gap. And I'm like, light-skinned girl, excuse you? Like, <laughs> mm, I'm brown. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, stop it. Um, it was, where are you from? Or the conversations. And I would always push away, move back from my blackness. I'm like, I'm Trinidadian. And they're like, girl, that's not a race. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could list off the people that schooled me. I love us. Girl, what you okay. talking about? Uh, you can't and, check and that off on nothing, girl. That ain't on the census. They're like, girl, you sound crazy. What you saying? Stop it. Stop it. Hello, stop it. This is your intervention, Whitney. Hello. Oh, man. They didn't even know they were running an intervention on me. Like, my God, the amount of times I I came up against some really uncomfortable confrontations. And it wasn't a conversation. You were pushed. Oh, yes. Like, people were like, they were going to educate me by hook or by crook. You hear me? Absolutely. Those professors. You're not leaving out of here dumb. I don't care. No, no. Thank you. a tool for white supremacy you're just not i'm sorry you paid your tuition this is what we you better get you. yourself together hello i'm sorry hello? you're not leaving out of here dub is taking Mm-mm. you're not no. leaving out of here dub <laughs> no, man. i don't care what you say no you're coming here with no. your foolishness you won't leave out the same before Weird. we done with these four years i'm showing you every john singleton every movie that was ever made thing, every, every use brothers 
Let's not talk about oh. movies. So. I know. We, 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 we won't. learn today. Today what? you're going to learn. Okay? okay. I can't shame. I can't shame you today for your lack of knowledge because the not. people are they're hearing the experience as to why you didn't see the color purple until you were 35. So okay. you um, you know, it's, okay. I, it's you know, fine. It's but you know what I did watch on loop? The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. You're not gonna hear <laughs> Same. Same. I, did so. I love those movies Same. too. <laughs> Because, I mean, it was just this past week when Jade and I was singing How Do You Solve a Problem? Like, okay. Maria, hello. Okay. And okay. me XD was singing Chim Chimini Cheru because <laughs> I am the Black Mary Poppins. So that is absolutely yeah. fine. Uh, a little balance never hurt anybody, though. That was my problem. Like, all of my images just were just excited. You tell me? Um, Samu, I spent, I think it was by, I, I entered in 2004 and I, by 2007, I was like fully in the natural phase. I was fully like other end of the spectrum. Like, you know, what happens, the pendulum, right? Like where you got to find your equilibrium, but I swung hard. I swung fast. Like, mm-mm these white devils ain't about to get me. Like it was, <laughs> it what, was were, uh, what were some of the experiences you had that that well outside of what you just talked about but yeah. was there anything specific that you can yeah. pinpoint or think yeah. of that yeah. really helped because you were defensive initially right which is a natural human reaction to yeah. be feeling attacked yeah what was it that helped you to kind of to ease out of that that mode of feeling mm -hmm. defensive and mm -hmm. start understanding i think that it was defensive but it was also honestly really scared like i mm -hmm. i had I spent, you spend the entire time being an academic where people are like, Whitney's so smart. She's so, like, always the academic, the, the intelligence and all that. And suddenly I'm being faced with something that I really genuinely knew nothing about, but that was at the core of my existence. And it was more so fear than anything else, which elicited some defensiveness, of course. But I was like, what do I do? And who are my adults? I don't have anybody to turn to about this. I can't talk to my mom and dad about it because I didn't feel like they were a safe space for it because they did not equip me with it. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have those trusted people. And I ended up having my own tribe of these women, my God, who I still to this day, every year, pandemic aside, we have a little girls trip. We come together and it's my three girlfriends mm -hmm. from college, Amanda, Patrice, and Aikila. And they- Patrice! <laughs> my girl. No, 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 not that Patrice. Oh, sorry. No, okay, I take it back. Oh. Why <laughs> well, Patrice? I'm sorry. Hey, okay, Patrice. 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 Sorry. That Patrice is a as well. But this, this other Patrice, Patrice is okay. like born and raised from Tallahassee, Florida, okay. and oh, yes. it was such a, a girl. yes, it was such a difference. Like my girl Amanda is from Monterey, California, and she had like this West Coast Cali oh. experience. She's half um, or quarter Korean, mm -hmm. and three quarters black but black from alabama like like oh, yes. black like they were southern so like, it was kimchi really and crawfish when we would oh, all yes. be together oh yeah a good time mm -hmm. yes Ooh, a nice combo and, yes and then ikeela from from atlanta but she was an army brat so she was born i think in korea maybe i'm not i don't want to lie on her but she had this really black experience where her father's name is ike and her sister's name is ikira and her, her <laughs> name is ikeela I love it. Woo! I love us. I, I love just us. love her so much. Okay. I love us. <laughs> it was this real, like, like this um, collage of black women that I was just like, wow. Like, and, and it, it was a, a snapshot of what existed on FAMU's campus, where, again, not a monolith in 
person personified Absolutely. where I encountered there were people skateboarding to class and the punks and the glam girls and of course the niggas right like it's all all of that <laughs> mm, um, always in okay. every in every okay. space in every space it was it was all this it was it was but everybody in their glory everybody was honored everybody had a space like the guys sure. with the dreads like the stock dreads coming to class I you know, it. learning and participating in conversation and, and lectures, you know, or leading lectures. It was my first time being able to see us in every aspect mm-hmm. that was not um, that was not combated or judged where you're not the respectability. It, it stripped a lot of the respectability yeah. from it. And that was so important for me because my family thrived on respectability. That's what I knew. If you speak mm. a certain way, code switching, even the accents where my mother would be cursing me out. And another thing, if you feel you could be big and bad in my house. And then the phone rings and she's like, hello, good evening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but where was that rent, Chinny? Excuse me. The plot of accent. All we just all lived in the same house. Okay. okay, yeah, just in different ways. Hello. It was that, though. It was constantly being told that this way was not the right way to be black. And yeah. suddenly I'm in a space where every way is the right way to be black. And I, mm. I live for every minute of it. I mm. love that the the rich the richness of the black experience is something that you are able to be immersed in at, right. at, a, at, a, at a HBCU. And I think that that is one of the great treasures um, of these kinds of institutions, right? Because it... How many, I mean, you're, you're one person, but even someone who was, who is black American, you know, I regret not having had that experience to be mm-hmm. sort of trained and nurtured and cultivated in a space that was unequivocally black in yeah. every, in every respect mm-hmm. to really challenge some of the, the ways that society socializes me to hate and, and, and dislike and stifle mm-hmm. and suppress myself and my blackness in a place like FAMU, all of the differences and nuances about being black is what's celebrated. Mm-hmm. It is. And mm-hmm. it's about embracing that. And so it really adds another layer of, of on, onto the conversation about why we need to value and appreciate these institutions in Ooh. the ways that we do. Absolutely. Um, if people try to, like you said, like we, people try to, to sort of relegate the HBCU experience to these small little things, but we need to have these kinds of conversations to really yes. open up um, and help people to understand the wealth of things that are going on yes, in the absolutely. HBCU space, oh for sure. Gosh, for and sure. I love that you didn't, and again, we we've been talking about this, and it's not because we love the H, we love the uh, the homecoming experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We love that. We love that as a culture, like yeah. all of us do. I'll be on the phone with my homegirl in Houston, who lives down the block from TSU, and we'll be on the phone listening to the band. You can hear yes. the band practicing. You know what I'm saying? Like we yeah. love the homecoming experience, but I do love that in this very unique experience of your blackness and how you grew up, mm. and what even helped you to shift. Um, in your thinking, it wasn't that just that no. typical, that stereotypical, what everybody knows no. about an HBCU. It was very yes. nuanced. And I, I think that's beautiful. I think the thing that we get, we I, I want to always honor the homecoming because homecoming is Absolutely. a very significant 
space and time. But homecoming is the celebration of all the hard work that we go through on a yes. daily basis. Exactly. It's yes. a snapshot. Yes. Say more about that. Say it, more about mm-hmm. like what it, what. Please. So, so it's, this is a question that I have actually, because as someone who didn't go to HBCU, I wonder, is there like a homecoming course? Because I felt like if I were to come into the homecoming experience, I wouldn't even really know where to start. I I recognize it's something that, you know, you know, you just got to be there. I get that. (laughs) But I also wonder, like, you know, the history behind it. Yes, yes, yes. As a as a literal, like, you know, as a central element of institutional culture there. Are there ways that you guys are sort of introduced to it as freshmen? Okay, please talk us through. It is such an indoctrination, like in the the greatest of ways of like the culture of the campus of an HBCU, like FAMU, we have the set, we have Foot Hillier, we have, there are these words that I can rattle off that any (laughs) FAMU alum or current student could be like, oh my God, you know. It, we do know, but of course, I think that the the honor and the grace and the importance of these celebrations and these moments are always through word of mouth, as you know, typically we pass on general oral tradition. Um, oral tradition. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was kind of like by witnessing, by seeing, like when you see mm-hmm. FAMU alum or people's parents and grandparents who graduated from FAMU coming in droves in caravans they would put their donks on the back of trailers and drive up from miami with the rims and the systems and the rib trucks and the tailgating like it was such an event that nobody even had to explain it to me Mm. and i was able to connect to the the idea of the celebration of a hard existence through carnival and I told, mm. I told Jade, like, when we talk about FAMU and, and homecoming, I liken it to Trinidad and Carnival. No, Trinidad is not just about Carnival, <laughs> just like HBCUs are not just about homecoming, but it is a core part of yeah, the man. deserved moment of freeing up yourself, being completely, unequivocally, unapologetically yourself and Black and in that space and enjoying yourself because you work damn hard throughout mm. the year. You go through so much. And this is our opportunity to come together in communion, in community, in a shared experience. And we have elders come, professors understand. There's just such an unspoken understanding about what homecoming represents that y- there is no course. You just have you do yeah. have to just mm-hmm. physically be there. What's one of your that. most memorable homecoming experiences? <laughs> Ooh. I love it. <laughs> right? I love I you know somebody just, about to tell a story by their reaction. I just felt like I mean we just went on a journey just Oh in my god. You know what it was? I, I to keep it very um cookie cutter and very cute, it was me having again a safe space to really connect to the people around me and understand what my role is with the people I've been navigating my education with, right? Where um, the parties, where it's the gatherings, it's the step shows, it's the fashion shows. Like I did everything that year. Mm -hmm. And I was really able to see and find a deeper respect for, I would say, Black American culture as well. Because Mm -hmm. of course, 
as a Caribbean person, I don't think I was ever explicitly told this, but Caribbean culture and even like different African countries have such a dominant presence of tradition and culture that, and Black American culture is so co-opted so frequently by the space that they occupy, like that America is constantly snatching and grabbing and pulling and yanking at your culture that you can't even, it looks like they're trying to take their shit back. And you're like, no, actually this is mine. This belongs and to And they me. would have you to believe that we don't have culture. Oh, God. They would right. have you to believe right. that they we would have, don't. They, they've done so good at that that they've had us believing for a while no. that exactly. we have culture. Yes. It is, mm-hmm. it is nonsensical. It, it was a homecoming. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was 2005, if I'm not mistaken. And I went to the games and, you know, at the time, love you, fam, you, but we really only went for the band. So <laughs> we would arrive before halftime and then <laughs> I don't know after um I'm sure the the team is way better now you know I hope <laughs> but that marching 100 though like yes uh it was that it was just, it was just a collection of these moments it but it was also the moments of riding around Tallahassee with my girlfriends uh smoking cloves and talking about life come on cloves okay let me tell you how Whitney used to love a clove honey I used she used clothes. to love a clove, darling. Oh my god! <laughs> I'd be like, "Are you smoking? What you? Are those beaties? She oh, cloves. <laughs> cloves. I mean, if uh, there's such an undergraduate nostalgia in, the, in a clove, that's yes. so crazy. <laughs> a cheap, a shared nasty. experience. We're all in the I, mean, I feel comfortable. Uh, I feel comfortable there. enough. I feel comfortable enough to disclose that I smoked cloves for maybe about three weeks. <laughs> three. It was probably a total of 21 days I smoked cloves. <laughs> and I was like, wow, club. this is club. so, this is so cool. They oh smell God. so good. They like, do. I was such a bird. <laughs> and then I went to choir so rehearsal good. and couldn't. I, I went to choir rehearsal and was like, something's not right. And then, <laughs> I'm doing this. <laughs> because they're like good. smoking sage smoke. Like, it's Oh, and so I said never thick. again. That was my last. I said, oh, Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise. <laughs> I won't do it ever admit, again. Let me admit right now that I used to smoke half a clove at a time. I wasn't because able to. Because it was like glass. Yeah, no. Ripping through unable. your chest. I was unable. You all know the type of person I am and clothes yes. are still. I'm like, what is this? Fabuloso and, <laughs> and incense? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> clothes claw its way down your throat in wow. the most aggressive wow. way. It was terrible. But yes, it was that was my experience. It was it was interwoven with those nights that were not homecoming. Um yeah. or nights that were should have been like homecoming but weren't. Like it was just such a mix of those experiences. You still I, I like I've how you how you delicately ballerina danced around my question and didn't tell me nothing she, specific. Oh, well, you I, mean, I want to know a story because I know you got one. It was I, I have to say it wasn't homecoming. It was this uh, event that we have called Be Out Day, and I, I'm not even gonna. Exp- it, it it was okay. Be out. It was <laughs> it was my first Be Out Day, and a little known rapper named T Pain was performing. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> yes, Woo! a vocalist. I stand. Woo! I stand. <laughs> I stand. Um, or his, the, the, the music was going. It was just a it vocalist. Was, it was an experience, and. 
it was a time when I was able to identify another part of my identity where like being a wonderful now a black woman mm-hmm. and I identify as being a black American person, especially now that I have traveled internationally so extensively. Like I am a black American person. I want that representation. That. I want, I want that. I, I demand it. it is very important to my identity. So identifying as a black American and then identifying as bisexual. So it was mm-hmm. a really safe space um to to navigate all of that with safe people and just it just was a vibe it was really just a vibe and i know that's not probably not everybody's experience at these events and homecoming and but for me homecoming be out there these significant celebrations on campus were mm-hmm. moments where i felt most free even more so than at carnival in trinidad i have never mm-hmm. felt that free in my own home country. So yeah, that's what FAMU homecoming and Beyonce represented for me. I love that. You use this word freedom so many times and it's really interesting. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. I think as you were talking earlier about um, sort of just being engulfed in this FAMU experience and just really r- relishing in all the all of the blackness, <laughs> I never heard homecoming phrased as you said something about it being like a, ce- a celebration mm-hmm. and how it's like, yes, we, we work so hard to yeah. be black in America. Yeah. This is our time to be home and to just be free. Yeah. And I've never thought about it like that. You think about it in terms of like homecoming people who were students there returning home, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we didn't, I've never really, you know, that connotation of it being a celebration mm-hmm. of the fact that we have survived being yeah. Black and, and unsafe. Yes. <laughs> and, and all of these other places. Yes. And you can come here and celebrate your black. That is something that I've never heard it phrased that way. But that, you know, helps me to, to really connect with with your uh, description of your experience and yeah. a really in a new way. Yeah. Right. I think we deserve that. Like I, I, yes. we deserve and I see it more so now than ever with like this newer generation. I had to reach out to this girl that I follow and and really commend her on living in luxury, getting what you deserve, doing what you deserve and and showing it to other people. Like, this is mine. This is what I did and this is what I get. So homecoming, yes, it is coming home for sure. And we we need that. But we also need to see what all this hard work pays off for. Does that make sense? Like as a student, I can't imagine not having homecoming. You're just kind of grinding through and trying to make it because let me tell you something, FAMU's campus is a very small part of what Tallahassee, Florida actually is. And I will not, I will not be disrespectful to that city because I learned a lot there. And, and one of the most pivotal moments of my life occurred there and I will always find an opportunity to go back there, but it was not easy. It was not easy. And they made sure of it. There were literal train tracks that separate FAMU and FSU. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so clear and so apparent. It's so blatant in your face, mm-hmm. even despite the excellence happening on that campus, mm-hmm. despite it, it's so, it's so wildly disrespectful. So those opportunities to celebrate and to come home and to have people from near and far come back and be like, look, look what's out there, y'all. This is what we did. Mm-hmm. Let's celebrate. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's party. Let's let's dance. Let's show all of our things. Mm-hmm. Let's brag a little bit. Like, let's flaunt and flex a little bit. Let's go above our means a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
but it's all of that, and it's it's swipe so your cards, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Okay. Swipe your cards. <laughs> okay. Get okay. that financial aid check out. Come on. Throw it in the bag. <laughs> Throw it in the bag. <laughs> okay. I I, I you are weekend. you are really like you are really presenting this in a very different way that I've not really heard um, the HBCU uh, explained as mm-hmm. because it's, it seems so sacred. It's come off so sacred from you. Yeah. Um, now, it sounds like you've had this experience at FAMU and then you had this very unique experience growing up, which yeah. somehow created this like beautiful balance. <laughs> Where have you been since FAMU? Tell us, cause you mentioned something about six, seven countries. So <laughs> walk us through a little bit of where you've been and like where that journey at FAMU took you to. Yeah, um, I left FAMU <laughs> in the most unceremonious way possible because life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sally Mae was already banging at the door and I was like, let me pack my stuff and get up out of here. Yeah, she's aggressive. <laughs> she's yeah. a lot, like I'm tired, yeah. I gotta get out of here. Um, I ended up back in New York, which was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. But New York City, of course, raised me and that, that I felt like that's where I needed to go back to to continue some of these lessons. And mm-hmm. when I tell you New York City ta- teaches you resilience, if nothing else, nothing like else. there's nothing anybody in any corner of this planet mm. could tell me that I did not have a very drunk person on the A train yell at me at 12 o'clock at night going Child. through Brooklyn. Like there's really okay. nothing you could try. I'd okay. love to hear it. I bet you ain't never screamed at a group of eight <laughs> niggas on the train at 4 a.m. from Hello? Utica to Kingsbridge. But That's anyway, continue. It. That is exactly <laughs> it. Um, I worked in uh, child protection for the most part. Like I'm thinking like foster care and foster care prevention. Mm-hmm. I did that for about five or six years. And then I ended up moving to my first country on my own. So the other countries before was with my, my family. Um, and then I ended up moving to Doha, Qatar, because my cousin Akila was working there. And my cousin, my family is like, again, a, an instrumental part in me being who I am for wh- mm-hmm. whatever they are has absolutely impacted me in the best of ways, quite honestly, because it led me to where I am today. Um, she was working there and she knew I like to travel. She was like, wait, they're paying for my housing, everything, transportation, just come through. And my mom worked for the airlines. She secured me a $400 ticket, round trip ticket to Doha, Qatar. And I went and I, again, again, one of those moments where I was like washed with this like energy of like, oh my God. And it was because my cousin, again, an attracting person was surrounded by black women from Jamaica, the UK, the US, the South specifically, um, mothers, wives, single women, all women that I met that night at this party, uh, some BBC anchors, educators, like just like a, a, an array of these fabulous, dope women, black women that were not a monolith, that I couldn't place anywhere. And I was like, are y'all really out here thriving like this? And they're like, yes, girl, come join us. And Please, some of them even strategically helped me get there. Mm-hmm. Carla, Kelly, mm-hmm. like they went through, they, they walked me through it. Like, like I was their own. And that's how I ended up in my first international posting. And it was all she wrote after that. I remember on that trip, I hadn't even secured a job. I hadn't even really wrapped my mind around living abroad, never mind a GCC country in the Middle East. But I remember telling my friend at the time, I'm like, I'm, I'm moving here. I'm, I'm leaving. And they were like, girl, please stop it. 
And I was like, okay, watch. And since then, it's been Doha, and then I went to Dubai, the Netherlands, Germany, and I'm back in the Netherlands now. So. I love that. I love that. I love your journey. I think that's such a unique journey, and I appreciate you coming and sharing that with us. And I think you brought it up earlier, and we talked about it a little bit before, but I think hearing this experience, especially from somebody who grew up uh, in a household where black was not a monolith and might have had a similar HBCU experience where it helped to kind of change the trajectory of their lives. Um, yeah. I'm sure they'll find great comfort in this conversation. Kia, do you do you have anything you wanted to add? No, I'm really grateful. Um, again, like, you know, just echoing what Jay said, I'm, I, I think what you have added to this conversation um, about HBCUs really does enrich our understanding mm-hmm. of, of the, you know, this sort of sector of higher education yeah. um, and all of the many ways that these institutions stand as pillars in black yeah. society yeah. And, mm-hmm. and make contributions to American society in Overall, general. Absolutely. Um, and so I'm, I love, you know, how candidly you've spoken about, you know, all your, your, your HBCU experience. And like Jay said, I definitely feel like it will, um, resonate with mm-hmm. with our listeners, whether they be folks who went to HBCUs or folks who didn't get an opportunity to go. Yeah. But as we're sort of trying to drum up um, and some excitement and momentum and getting people thinking about ways that we can sort of invest in these institutions in meaningful mm-hmm. ways, yeah. um, I think what you have added to the conversation is undoubtedly impactful yeah. and, and makes thank a big you. difference. And so thank you for providing the yes. platform. Absolutely. Thank you for joining and actually rounding out our uh, target bonus um, little stint here that we did. Thank you for rounding that out with such a with such a beautiful and meaningful conversation. So I'm gonna li- I'm gonna leave with one more question and then I'll leave you alone. <laughs> no, you won't. Because we've also I went well. No, I'm not gonna leave you alone. But I'll leave you alone on here. Um, so you we we've had very candid conversations and we all we've all had very candid conversations about our experiences here in America. We know we're not here to talk about all the political injustices and all the things that are going on because we all understand them to be true. And I know we also talk about some of the difficulties in the white motherland that you're in right now. Girl. Um whole but other also episode. some of the extreme benefits that we're lacking over here in this country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you encourage your child to leave there with some, you know, with some of that stability and that comfort to come here to, you know, where it can get a little difficult sometimes, but to an attend an HBCU for that experience. Uh, absolutely. Like I will always say, like I will never stop singing Sammy's praises. Mo- partly because I owe them that because I used to talk so much crap about them during uh, financial aid time. Where I was upset. I was upset. You don't run me my money. That would be um, sure. So I also need to offset that. There's a couple posts I have to go back and be like, "Ooh, did you say that about you?" Hmm. Um, sorry. <laughs> so sorry. Oh, I was hungry. You know, I didn't eat that day. You know, you know, I, you, and I, and I, I don't mean it. Very zealous. Our candid news. I and it's what Kia was saying earlier. Like for me, freedom is such a vibe. It's such a key part of my life. Like freedom and safety are mm-hmm. things that I'm constantly trying to maintain, protect, establish in my life, no matter where I am. 
And I, I definitely speak a lot about that in conversation, in panels, podcasts, posts, all of it. it freedom and safety is so clutch and key, especially as a Black woman. And, mm -hmm. and being able to lead with that is so important. So I know that my life now has taken a turn in a trajectory that I had never expected. Mm -hmm. um, my plan after leaving Dubai was to go to Ghana, quite honestly. Like I was, I had mm -hmm. my school set up. I knew exactly where I was going, but George, you know, detoured me in the best ways. And I absolutely <laughs> love that man. Um, and he's totally worth it. But I do envision like a future and a family and a child or, and I do encounter a lot of black children here. And to me, to me, and I might be speaking out of turn because I've only been in this country for two and a half years, believe it or not. I think they need it even more than even yeah. black children who grow mm -hmm. up in America. Because mm -hmm. when they say go back to your country here, they mean it. Yeah. They mean it. There's no rebuttal. Like yeah. we could say you first, white man. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. <laughs> follow right. follow your facts. Leader. Right. But here they mean it. And they mean it with yeah. every core of their cream of wheat body like they mean it <laughs> and i think that there's something very particular about having that experience and internalizing that as a child here mm -hmm. so i would encourage anybody anybody even white people even me because i feel anybody. like it sounds like homecoming is something that we all deserve hello oh we all deserve uh -huh. no absolutely and you're all welcome everybody oh is i've welcome. been I Hello? have invaded many a homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. I but I, I yeah, think it probably hits different, especially listening to you speak speak about it so meaningfully when you're sitting there in that experience day in and day out, and then yeah. to be able to to have that joy because you, yeah. you've earned that joy. You more than deserve that joy, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I fully, if you have not attended an HBCU homecoming, I fully recommend that you do it. Better be FAMU. Um, <laughs> I won't judge. I won't judge. Whatever is most uh, accessible. Accessible. Um, I will say that FAMU is absolutely a sacred space for me. Um, you cannot say anything about that school, even if it's true. I, I will absolutely <laughs> watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. We, we keep home right. things at home. Um, it. it is a sacred space, and it is a, uh, a a space that I encourage people to partake in respectfully anybody of any background any experience i fully recommend that you partake in it because you get such a beautiful and wonderful snapshot of what black people have been trying to tell you since mm -hmm. they arrived on this, um, in, in varying spaces across the diaspora ain't that it i love that <laughs> i love that I oh my god! and i'm gonna take you up on that mm -hmm. i'm gonna I, I have another friend who went to famu he graduated He's younger than us, um, so <laughs> he's a about. baby. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he and he was in the marching band, so Ooh. all things. Mm -hmm. Oh, he know. was all immersed. Mm -hmm. He was, I mean, I Ooh. mean, to the side. Yes. Um, but yes. <laughs> so I, I, I just, just hearing about, I just, I think Florida is an interesting, an interesting place, mm -hmm. and so having the, and I have been sort of lightly introduced to homecoming situations, you know, 
but I haven't had a full on experience. Somebody invite getting grown to a homecoming. We want to come yes. and do that. You know what I'm saying? Let us come in. Let them bring host the kitchen some, table. Host something. You know what I'm saying? Let us come. Bring the through. kitchen table down yes. to your campus. That's what I'm saying. It don't be, have to be, be Florida. And while you're at I, it, I'll add a Trinidad carnival as well. Once it's done, oh, you know that's on the list. I haven't. I have not done that. And mm. You know that's like on the list. That. Must. Mm. It's a must. Do both. I can't wait to. I can't wait to play mass. I went to Trinidad my senior year in college. We mm-hmm. went to Trinidad for our spring break and we oh. missed Carnival maybe by like a week. By second. But I know. <laughs> by second. So we did like four days in Trinidad and four days in Tobago. Yes. Was oh, I'm so I've glad always you wanted to both. go back. It was so good. It was oh, so you have like, to do both. amazing. You have, you, to gotta do both. Do both. you have to do both. I am proud of you. Thank you for doing both. <laughs> and let me tell you about Tobagonians. They'll be like, oh, you only going to Trinidad. You don't know nothing about Tobagonians. <laughs> Anytime um, I mention, if I when I mention stuff, if I I say Trinidad and Tobago, I'll and say Trinidad from Trinidad. But if Make I'm talking sure about Angostura, if I'm talking about anything, I'll say and Tobago, and they will message me. Thank you for adding in Tobago. <laughs> we really appreciate it because everybody forget. Yeah, I'm they terrible. They just think it's just Trinidad, and I'm, I'm like, okay, terrible. Girl, all right. <laughs> Something I'm working on in my language. <laughs> we will respect. We yes. will respect. We love you. But y'all. yes, thank you, Whitney. This has been amazing. Thank we really you. appreciate you for coming and sharing your experience, your insight, your journey. It's been dope to have you in conversation. <laughs> yes. Um, especially such an important one about such an important um, thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, so we really, really thank you. And thank you and guys. Thank you for to Target. Listening. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Black Beyond Measure actually highlighting HBCUs and HBCU students. Yes. Um, and, you know, we have uh, some some HBCU students will be featured in the 2020, 2022 Black History Month campaign at Target, which mm-hmm. is going to be dope. So we're the excited. Design challenge. Can't wait to see that. The design mm-hmm. challenge. So, yeah. Thank you to Target. Thank you to Whitney. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Jay, take the people out. Take them out. All right. How we always go out. Well, first and foremost, it doesn't matter where you're at. FAMU, Hampton, Howard University, <laughs> TSU, Prairie View, wherever you at. You want to make yeah, sure that you're yeah. drinking your water. Yes, it's yours. You it's also want to make sure when you're in all of those locations, especially so, to mind your business. Yes. Your business. Yours and yours alone. Key. Yours, yours and alone. yours alone. And no matter important. what region you're in, whether it's humid whether it's chilly, whether it's cold, whether it's hot and dry, you must always moisturize your skin. Amen. Why, everybody? Because your black will crack if it's dry. It will. Don't let them lie to you. Okay, you can go get your lotion down at the Target. Get the elbows. Or down at the campus store. Get the elbows. We'll see you all later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Joints, fingers, toes. Love y'all. Love you guys. Bye-bye.